Welcome to Game Changers, the show that's about playing by your own rules when it comes to your career. Join us as we speak with people who have taken the road less traveled and found their niche. I'm your host, Seth Robinson. The very common thread that, that's out there is I'm stressed, I'm, I don't know who I am, and I don't know what I'm doing. Despite being a finite resource, time is something we tend to undervalue. Today's guest has made it his mission to recapture those lost seconds. Christian Martineau is the founder of watch company, The Timekeeper. He's also a mental health advocate and facilitator. Christian, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Seth. Pumped to be here. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic to have you in the studio. So I guess to kick things off, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and kind of how you came to be sitting here today. Yeah. Um, well, first, I, should, I just want to acknowledge the name of this podcast, Game Changers. Yeah. Because I actually facilitate for an organization called Game Changers. So I promise we didn't know that ahead of time. Some synchronicity there. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, so I, I studied um, here at University of Melbourne. Um, I did a Bachelor of Commerce in mm-hmm. Accounting and Finance. I then did part-time honours um, over two years while I was teaching full-time. And I taught for three years here. Um and I took a year off um, to establish the Timekeeper, a business I'm passionate about. Um, I did one year in, in strategy consulting. Um, and then the last kind of seven, eight months, I've recreated myself again and, and started to do facilitation, um, predominantly in the emotional intelligence area, leadership, um, focused on for young people. Um, and yeah, earlier days is, you know, family of five, two older sisters. I uh, recently have a partner now. We've been seeing each other for just over six months and um, health and well-being is, is something super important to me. Christian, you trained as an accountant here at the University of Melbourne and then you spent some time working in consulting before kind of charting your own path. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience in the working world after uni was like? Yeah, definitely. Um, so during the last years of my uni, I really wanted to be a strategy consultant. Um and so I applied for a grad role um, at different consulting firms and was really lucky that Stratagen was my number one preference. Um, I knew a lot of um, friends that had been there and had a great culture. And um, so I secured that. Um, and in between that year off, though, that's when I went through that transformative journey. So I became a very different kind of view of the world, behavior seeing. Um, I started in strategy consulting and it was it was great. You know, I was learning, meeting new people, um, seeing, you know, big business, the corporate world, um, and yeah, really recognize the people, uh, mm-hmm. in consulting, you know, really surrounded by really intelligent people. Um, and working at strategy and also gave me access to broader PwC network. So the ability to kind of network and understand what's going on through different, um, arms of business. Um, you know, worked on some great projects as well multiple different industries, blue sky strategy through to, you know, cost out projects through to new products, through to mergers, um, new tech ventures. So it was, it was very interesting. Um, and it was probably towards, you know, after I'd been there for maybe nine months though, I really recognized another cycle or pattern coming back for me, which was burnout, Mm -hmm. um, which was overworking, you know, managing a business one day a week on the side and then working pretty long hours. Consulting is pretty demanding. Um, and I started to recognize also that I wasn't necessarily enjoying the skill set that was being developed, mm-hmm. which is a lot of time on Excel spreadsheets modeling, whereas my, my nature is to go towards the, more towards the human behavior and the empowerment and the different elements. So, um, yeah, I kind of struggled over a few, um, few months there. 
like personally, just not taking responsibility for the the environment or the state I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of complaining. Um, and and people told me, Christian, I think it's time for you to go. Um, you're losing your self-confidence. Things are dropping. Um, but it took me a while. It took me to actually go through another immersive program to actually see the blind spot that was holding me back. And it was very much tied to this, I can't have to be there for a year, this like societal conditioning right. or this fear of rejection or, you know, income, like wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that disappeared for me, I actually left and, and began to forge or, or weave that path. Um, and for me, it was fear that was holding me back from weaving that path. And I see that happening for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I can see myself in, in a lot of people in that circumstance. Um, and I look back at that consulting experience is that's going to be invaluable. Um, you know, for my life and the business and, and everything that I'm looking at doing um, and and learning a lot about how big business works. So it was it was an exciting time. It was a roller coaster time. It was burnout periods. There was, you know, so it was a real journey. Um, and coming back to that word of growth, mm-hmm. um, I grew a lot from it. So health and well-being is something that you've tied into the timekeeper, which mm-hmm. is kind of your primary business at this stage, I would say. Yeah, yep. So tell us a little bit about that. What is the timekeeper and how does that all come together? Yeah. So um, it's a it's a great time to ask that question. It's actually going through a bit of a transformation, the business itself. So okay. um, look, it very much started off early days, a very opportunistic idea. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and what happened is in my personal life, I, I actually got sick and I got a rash, um, some kind of adrenal fatigue, um, as well as started to lose my eyesight. And I discovered this journey which took me around mindfulness, yoga, health, diet, psychology, philosophy, awareness, personal development. And the timekeeper very much became a manifestation of that. So very simply what we do is we sell watches um, as an anchor um, to the present moment and how to live our lives in line with our values. Time is precious. Mm -hmm. We donate proceeds to youth mental health. Um, and we share people's stories. So the struggles of their past, what they care about today and what they're inspired to create. That's incredible. Um, now just this month, um, the, the team has grown to six and, um, we're going a bit of a shift of focus to get closer to the mission. Um, so the kind of statement that we're putting out there is that we help young people, uh, be focused and productive with their time by giving them the mindset and tools. And so we're looking to actually expand into services and workshops and working with people on the mindset and then tools such as the watch as a reminder, but also other things such as journals and, and different things. So um, we're at a bit of a transition point at the mm-hmm. moment, but it's very much focused on the link of, of time and mental health. That's that idea of, yeah. you know, if someone's living a life in line with their values, right, it's very likely that they're happy, excited, they're enjoying life. Whereas a very common thread that, that's out there is I'm stressed, I'm busy, I'm mentally feeling um, symptoms, I'm physically feeling symptoms, and I'm, I'm in the hamster wheel. I don't know who I am and I don't know what I'm doing. Wow. That's the problem we're looking to, to get into. That's fantastic. And so you found in your personal experience that once you started taking time and addressing your mental health and well-being, that the physical symptoms responded to that. Yeah, correct. And have you encountered people working through the Timekeeper where it's been a similar story? 
Yeah, so it's it's actually, you know, the the team that I have now is, you know, we were having a brainstorm the other day and a very common thread in our own personal lives, but in that that we hear for others is um, I'm busy, I'm stressed, either mental health issues coming out or physical health issues, burnout, adrenal fatigue. And it's that thing of um, just not taking the time. It's like that each of us has had that kind of realization moment that's made us pause and stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of people we talk to that relate to the mission, and that's why we're trying to get closer to how do we actually help these people directly rather than necessarily selling watches and then donating proceeds. It's how can we actually get closer because people are really resonating with the time mm-hmm. uh, and the mental health, physical health component. That's fantastic. So it's a really tightly bonded team then, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, because you're essentially building two things through the Timekeeper. There's a business which has a kind of commercial economic element to it there. But then there's also very much this social engagement, which is part of that. Have you found it challenging to build, you know, essentially two different kind of organizations rolled into one that both come with very unique challenges? Yeah, um, definitely is the answer to that. (laughs) Um, It's the business, I would say it's like it's like a baby. Uh, and I'm learning how to be a father. So, you know, at first, um, you know, I started opportunistically. I went into donating 100% of proceeds to um, education and youth homelessness. And then I went through an incubator program. They're like, Christian, what you really care about is mental health and human behavior. And then it kind of pivoted again. And now it's pivoted again. So it's kind of constantly leveling up or transforming. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big aspect is I very much started the business very altruistically. It's like, just give what I can, give my time, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I've kind of learned over the journey or got some realizations along the way that first and foremost, I really need to create a really sustainable structure around it Absolutely. and not just give and give and give mm-hmm. um, and actually look much longer term. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of pivoted around and tried to apply some of the accounting concepts around performance and whatnot um, to make sure that this is a really a growing and sustainable thing. Um, and it can go beyond me as well. So you mentioned accounting there. So yeah. that was what you studied when you were at the University of Melbourne here. How was it entering a field that, you know, wasn't necessarily related to your studies? I imagine accounting supported that, but you mm. would have had to do a lot of learning on the go to tackle these things. Definitely. Um, for me, uh, learning or, or growth is aliveness. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, background is studying commerce, accounting, finance, um, you could say the other elements outside of that is learning how to set up a business. Mm-hmm. So business development, startups, um, you know, spending some time in the not-for-profit space, um, learning how that space works, spending some time teaching at university, learning a little bit about education. Yeah. Um, and then more recently, really learning around kind of facilitation and coaching and, and presenting um, is a completely new skill again. Absolutely. Uh, managing teams as well. So, um constantly learning yeah Yeah. very very cool so you mentioned facilitation which Mm -hmm. ties in nicely to the other work you do which is with the man cave Mm -hmm. are you kind of bringing the two organizations together or are they still very separate spheres yeah so the so i'm a facilitator for the man cave so I, i don't lead the man cave um and you know something i'm super passionate about this is where it kind of all comes together is um you know, a mission in my life is is to transform the education system. Okay. Um, and so I've been spending a lot of time learning about the different spaces and spheres, understanding how they work. So university while teaching, understanding how the department works, how students, what 
they're you know they're behaving mm-hmm. um you know spending time in the startup space and the not-for-profit space understanding how that works the human behavior there and then more recently spending time in in you know schools um so high schools primary schools and understanding the teachers interactions the students where they're at the parents so it's kind of get into people's worlds to understand mm-hmm. how people are viewing the world what they're dealing with um you know how they're seeing the world as well and so for me you know the man cave is has been really valuable and really great for that experience because it's been life transforming for the for the young boys yeah. uh, and i would say the teachers and their families and it's also giving me an insight into into the challenges that are happening um and some insights into around how the education system can actually transform to to help these young people yeah did you want to share any of those insights? Anything that you think would be really valuable to see in the next couple of years? Even? Mm, yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I hear is, you know, the Foundation of Young Australians, they do a lot of research on young people and, and amongst other organizations. And a common thread that's coming out is the world is changing so fast, so quickly. Um, you know, technology is changing and that young people are going to have on average, you know, quite a high number of jobs in their lifetime. So how do we prepare young people with the skills, both technically as well as emotionally, mm-hmm. so the ability to adapt, communicate, um, you know, deal with um, change um, over their lifetime? And so I see a fundamental flaw in the education system is the old model of go to geography, go to history, study commerce, do this, rote learn, mm-hmm. big part of it, rote learning, to get the VCE script into uni, to get that into the, the job. And then people kind of realize, oh, actually, that's not what I wanted to do. Or, you know, over time they have to change jobs, but they don't have the emotional resilience and skills. Right. So what I see is, um, you know, it comes from a bit of maybe the humanities area or the philosophy, psychology, emotional intelligence area. Mm-hmm. But is my question is, why don't we have emotional intelligence in the curriculum? Right. And the earlier, the better. And, you know, there's a lot of curriculum and government stuff coming through around respectful relationships and different things. So they're starting to see it. But now I see the challenge that schools have is a lot of organizations are selling programs into schools and the schools don't have budget. Right. right? Parents in public schools don't have budget either. Uh, And then there's a lack of consistency. So different schools are getting different consultants, educators to provide different curriculums, frameworks. But there's not a consistent thing across the board. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different things. So it almost sounds like, in your mind, it needs to be a federal kind of decision that happens across the whole country and the whole educational system. You've mentioned a few different age groups. Mm. Is there kind of a particular time where you think this would be really valuable learning? Because often, you know, not everyone goes to university. So it'd be great if you could be equipped with those skills beforehand. Yeah. And obviously, as you mentioned, there's respectful relationships coming in and those sort of teachings. But do you mm. think there's an age bracket where it's particularly important? Yeah. I um, The earlier, the better. Yeah. But I think it has to be sprinkled along the way. Okay. Because at different age groups, we're forming our ba- brains and patterns are forming in different ways. And we go through different challenges mm-hmm. through different stages or cycles of our life. And so I think it needs to happen along the way. You know, when I was at a primary school the other day and I was amazed, I was amazed by the, what the teachers were providing the students um, around taking ownership and individual responsibility around leadership, you know, and seeing how they were so engaged in technology platforms and just what they can do is incredible. Yeah. So I think it's, it is starting. And then there's in the high school, but there's other challenges coming. As we go through puberty, we start to explore who we are as a man or a woman or, you know, other, other identity mm-hmm. um, and then how we relate 
to different people as well, communication, conflict. So I think there has to be different skills um, and touch points along the way. I don't think it's just a at one point yeah. and then it goes off. So taking a little bit of a sidetrack again, yep. going back to what we were kind of discussing initially, which is the idea around burnout and hustling and, you know, there's the hashtag here, GSD, which is get shit done. Mm. When it comes to entrepreneurship, do you think that success kind of needs to be redefined and move away from this mentality a little bit? Are there other ways that, you know, you can approach being successful and setting up projects and businesses like yourself? Mm, yeah. Um, I think success is defined for us in society from a very early age. And so there's a conditioning that we have and we're very unconscious to it uh, from an early age. So, you know, speaking from my personal experience, success was get a good VC score. Mm -hmm. Success was get good grades in uni. Success was do all the internships, all the consulting competitions, get, you know, a really good job. Uh, that was my world. Now, when I actually kind of stopped, paused, began to look at my values, what's important to me, break things down, look at my behaviors, where my stories came from, from a very early age, I began to redefine it for myself. Mm -hmm. And what I see out there is a lot of this burnout or action or ambition, you know, you could say it comes from many different components, the competitiveness, the social conditioning of in society around you've got to be the best, you've got to be rich, you've got to be wealthy, powerful, diff different elements. But again, if you're in different spheres or pockets of the community or you're from different cultures, success is actually very different too. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something I've definitely noticed going into different schools with different backgrounds and cultures. Um, and so success for me, uh, if you could say redefining it, mm -hmm. um, was very much me getting in touch with my values. What are those five important areas of my life? Uh, and for me, I use the, the lens or the filter of time mm -hmm. as well as goals. So how much time am I investing in each of those areas? And then based on my goals in those areas, right? how well am I working towards those? And what are the five areas that you consider your areas of excellence, I believe you call them? Yeah, so um, in, in priority order too, so this mm -hmm. is, you could think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs or there's another framework, Barrett's seven levels of consciousness. Yep. So I've tied my values in to kind of where I am in survival all the way through to kind of self-actualization contribution. Very cool. So the first one is, is health and well-being. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, I, I know what it's like to not have that. And so that's, that's number one. If I don't have that, I can't serve others. Mm -hmm. right, that's number one. The second is what I call love and community. So what I mean by that is relationships. It's the idea of without my relationships, for me, life would be very meaningless. Right? Also, my health, my social structure and health defines how good my life is too. Mm -hmm. So that's very important for me. Uh, the third one is, you could say, career and wealth. And so I kind of tie that in together. It's like how much as an entrepreneur or facilitator, it's like for me, the value is tied into uh, wealth and value is, is aligned. So if I'm creating a lot of value for society, mm -hmm. uh, my wealth is building. And that's something that I've actually had to, I had a negative view of money originally. Mm -hmm. I'd got money drilled into me from a very young age uh, and I flipped it, which was like, oh, money is against love. So right. money's bad. And so I've had to work through that to actually bring wealth to a, become a value again because mm -hmm. there's been periods in my life where I just actually don't care about money at all. And I keep giving my time and da da da. And people like Christian, you've got to start um, building wealth into that. So that's, that's the story behind that one. Because I imagine that also is part of supporting other elements of your life. It gives you capacity to do things like taking time to take care of your health. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And it's the whole thing of abundance, scarcity mindset around that as well. 
um, which we can we can go into. Okay. Um, the fourth uh, the fourth value for me is is growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so personal and professional growth. Um, for me, as I mentioned before, growth is aliveness. If I'm not learning and growing, it's almost like a heartbeat monitor is flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm growing, it's it's going up and down. Uh, and the last component for me is is leadership and and contribution. Yeah. And it seems like each of those, as you view it in a way as a pyramid, if you like, they definitely mm-hmm. support each next step as you go. I mean, to become a better leader, you would imagine that you would have to grow and learn to do that. Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. That's really fantastic. What capacity do you like to learn in that you see as being conducive to your own personal growth? Mm. So could you repeat the question in a way just so I understand? <laughs> yeah, it? no, yeah. of course. Um, in terms of learning, what works mm. well for you? Is it a matter of personal learning reading things, listening to podcasts, seeking out that knowledge independently? Do yeah. you like to do online courses or go back to university? How? Do, what is your learning methodology? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, look, so much I go, life is learning. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, reading, yep. uh, definitely. Um, books, I read a lot of books around business or personal development or, or that's for your philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other element for me is, yeah, podcasts. Um, or watching videos, YouTube, whether that's YouTube or, or any other platform online. Mm-hmm. Um, mentors. Um, so you could say both, I kind of look at it as senior and junior. So people that are younger than me, learning from those young people I work with. They got so much wisdom coming out of them. Um, and then older people. So people that have been there before, done it, have you know failed, learned lessons, uh, people that can guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, also doing courses. Um, so... A lot of personal development courses, immersion, immersive experiences is, is kind of what I've been engaging with recently. Cool. Um, which we can talk about too. Yeah. And as well as um, action. So what I mean by that is just growth mindset, taking actions. Mm-hmm. So I can read a whole lot. It's like university. Read a whole lot, you know, learn it theoretically and da-da-da-da, but not actually understand it until I've taken the actions or immersed myself in that experience mm-hmm. to actually see in reality. And put it into practice. Correct. That's yeah. fantastic. Sorry, so you were going to tell me more about something there. The cor- the courses. The courses, yeah. yes. Immersive experiences. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, university was a, a learning period. And you could say after university, I've started to immerse myself in what I would call experiential learning experiences mm-hmm. to really understand my human behavior, the stories, the, the mental health, all that. So, you know, a few to mention. One is the Mankind Project, which is where myself and 80 men out in nature reconnecting with nature and ourselves and what it means to be a man mm-hmm. and going through process there and really looking at the the deep stories and things that come from my childhood and when I grow up. You know, another immersive experience is doing YGAP Accelerator Program. So that's an incubator program to really challenge how I look at problems, the solution, the business, the team, you know, understanding business, impact, measurement, and that. It's a different kind of learning. Absolutely. You know? Another immersive experience um, is rites of passage training. And so that's the idea of ancient traditional cultures. Every culture had a rites of passage for people to move to different stages of life. So young boy or girl to woman or manhood, to become a father or mother, to become an elder. So the mother, and so to give you an idea, it's when we're a young person and we're a mother or father, for that young person to become a man or woman, the mother or father has to move through a stage to become the elder to give space and let go of the control over that child. You know, so something very, I see a lot happening out there is that kind of mother and fatherhood. You know, even in my family, 
we're holding on to something. Why mm. we have children, we're holding on to something, and that has to let a bit of space for that young person to grow and flourish. So that kind of process. So it sounds like a lot of those processes are things that in contemporary society we've kind of moved away from. Mm. Is that yeah. something you've observed? or? Yeah, so I mean the closest rites of passage is, you know, I see is schoolies. You know, at the end of school, it's like I finished school, I'm, an adult, I'm going and getting drunk and all that. Mm-hmm. So we've created our own ones, but that's not facilitated. Mm-hmm. And there's no actual growth around the mental or emotional psyche, right, predominantly for a lot of people. Um, you know, driver's license is another one. Mm-hmm. Bar mitzvahs, you know, is, is there's, yeah, there's different processes out there. That, but we have, as you kind of say, we've lost what all the ancient traditional cultures ran for their communities in the old days. So was there an element of guidance to a lot of those rites of passage? You mentioned facilitation. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. is part of it that you're going through these steps by someone who's been before and can kind of give you a little push in the right direction? Yeah, definitely. There is an element of elders passing down wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, And there's another organization, uh, Rites of Passage Institute, um, which I have, you know, some interactions with as well. And they do some amazing work and they're starting to work in schools um, around the country as well to facilitate this in particular for, for fathers and their sons. Um, there's some other organizations doing some work with mothers and daughters. Um, even I, the other day, the Rights of Passage Institute did one with mothers and sons. So that work is starting to take place and, and weave back into modern-day society. That's fantastic. All right, well, we're almost out of time. I have one more question I have to ask you, which is one that we ask all of our guests. Mm. Um, but it is, and you've probably got a pretty good answer for this one. I think you've touched on it a bit so far, but what's one thing that's not on your resume as you would submit it to a job application or so that's gotten you to where you are today? Mm, yeah, great question. Um, for me, I would say it's, it's the merger between two things, mm-hmm. which I'll say sounds so simple. It's listening into self-awareness. And, and what I mean by that is uh, meditation probably started that journey for me mm-hmm. to actually listen to my thoughts. You know, where are they coming from? The past, present, future. Are they scarce thoughts? Are they abundance thoughts? Listening to my body, a sensation in my back, a little pain in a niggle or there, you know, different things. And actually listening to people and nature and not listening to the voice in my head interpreting what people are saying or judging a sound from nature, but actually listening to the words the same, as if they are my own, the commitment behind the words, the emotion behind the words. And for me, that listening has allowed me to get really connected to, to self here, but also allow space to actually listen and acknowledge people. Uh, and that is a, is a skill that comes in handy with family, with friends, with partner, with, in business, with team, everywhere. And that's a skill I would say is not on my resume uh, or I haven't learnt it in a, in a formal institution, but through meditation and also a number of immersive programs. That's fantastic. Christian Martineau, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really enlightening speaking with you. And I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it. Thank, thank you. you so Thanks much. for having me. This has been Game Changers. I've been your host, Seth Robinson. Game Changers is produced by Sophie Thomas and recorded by Chris Hatzis. <laughs>